0: All right, we're diving into Judges chapter 4, so grab your Bibles. If you don't feel like it, you can just look at the screen up front. Isn't that a wonderful thing we provide for you? If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one too. You can just raise your hand right now, and my buddy Joe in the back will give you one for free. But if you have your Bible, uh, grab it, because we're going to dive in. We've got a lot of verses to read today. Judges chapter 4, we continue our series there in the book of Judges entitled, The God Who Delivers. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned at Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in herosheth Hagoyim. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father in law of Moses, and had pinched, uh, pitched his tent as far away as the oak, oak in Zaananim which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men were with him, from Harosheth hegoim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera in all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hirosheth Hegwaim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Yael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Yael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg. And took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him. And drove the peg into his temple. Until it went down into the ground. While he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera. Yael went out to meet him and said to him. Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And so he went into her tent. And there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Right from the beginning of this passage, we are presented with an overwhelming sense of need. A gap, if you will. Now when we were traveling through Scotland, uh, we would travel by train. And before you'd get to any stop, you'd hear this phrase that you'd try to figure out what are they talking about, but they would announce the next destination, and before the doors opened, you would hear a three-word phrase. Anybody know what it is? Mind the gap. What does that mean? Well, it's simple, right? So there's a little gap between the train and the platform. And you think, well, well, that's silly, It's, it's minuscule, it's small, the gap, it's insignificant. It's not even worth stating to mind the gap. But interestingly enough, people have ignored this seemingly insignificant gap. And people actually get injured a lot. They trip. Sometimes they get trapped. And actually, at one point, someone actually died. Mind the gap. When you read this passage right from the beginning, you see a massive gap, one that is obvious and maybe one that would be a little bit insignificant, at least on the surface. So you see that Israel has this very overwhelming and cruel enemy. 900 chariots of iron are at the disposal of uh, King Jabin's general, Sisera. 900 chariots of iron. That's a lot of strength you talk about strength in numbers these nine hundred chariots gave them the strength and the power to cruelly oppress the people of Israel for twenty years twenty years might seem like an insignificant amount of time right it goes by relatively quickly at the approaching the age of forty I realized, man time is flying but if I begin to think back on the last twenty years Uh, We're approaching 20 years of marriage. i got to be honest, I don't remember what life was like without being married to Doreen. My whole life, my worldview, the way I see it, it's all connected to the last 20 years of being related to Doreen. I can't imagine what life would be like apart from her. Now, 20 years have gone by, and the people of Israel are what? Under the oppression of... Of this cruel general and king. They can't imagine what life was like without this kind of cruelty. They know that life is not the way it's supposed to be. But they can't imagine. Their whole identity is trapped and wrapped up into this oppression that they have. And yet, is this enemy known as Canaan, Jabin... At the strength in the hand of Sisera, really the enemy of the people of Israel, if you deep a little bit deeper. The gap that we might miss here is the real enemy, that if we don't look for, if we don't see and understand, will trip us up, will trap us, and will eventually lead to our death and destruction. See, the real enemy for the people of Israel is not Canaan. The real enemy is their unfaithfulness, is their sin, their infidelity to the God that had redeemed them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Deliverance is needed here. It's it's so obvious. They feel the weight of oppression. They feel the weight of the consequences Of their infidelity. Look at verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. What is this that they have done? Well, once again, as the writer of Judges has pointed out in the earlier chapters, these people have run away from worshiping the true God and have embraced the gods of the people around them. Right? They have... uh, They've felt the magnetic pull into worshiping the gods of Canaanite culture, and they have given themselves over to it. They've abandoned the Lord and whored after other gods, as judges previously said. So here they are again. And we get insight into the repetitive nature of our most oppressive enemy. The repetitive, habitual nature of sin. So we want you this morning to see the real enemy that you are facing in your life. It is not your neighbor. It is not your spouse. It is not your boss. It is not even your health concerns. It is not your financial insecurity. Your real enemy that you face every single moment that must be defeated is your sin. You must look in the mirror and recognize the source of your oppression in this world. It is nothing more and nothing less than your sin and unfaithfulness to the Lord. Deliverance is needed lest we remain in our sin. And so the people of Israel, in the midst of their oppression, cry out to the Lord for help. They cry out, they yearn, they long for deliverance. Is that you this morning? You who are struggling with habitual, uh, repetitive sin. You feel shackled. You feel enslaved. You feel the shame and condemnation from something that you can't seem to shake. And is your heart and your attention turning to the Lord, crying out for deliverance? I'll never forget what Chris Davidson said as we were driving around Merkinch. because he said, a lot of people in these schemes come to us in tears. And he said, but you have to understand that tears are never a sign of repentance. They are a sign of remorse. And you have to get below the tears. I thought that was pretty insightful. you got to get beneath the tears. So this morning, I wonder, even as you come with a sense of brokenness, crying out for deliverance, is it just deliverance from your difficult situation? Or do you long for deliverance from the thing that truly oppresses you? Sin. False worship. Unfaithfulness in your heart before the Lord. If you are not delivered from sin... You will be stuck in it. And so the need is great. Deliverance is needed lest we remain in it. And we're here wondering, what is God doing in all of this? Where is God in the midst of their oppression? In the midst of this difficulty, where is the Lord? And look at verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So even in the midst of their oppression, the Lord has provided someone who is uh, his servant, a prophetess. Meaning someone who hears the word of the Lord and is communicating the word of the Lord. The text says that she was judging Israel. That people would come to her to settle disputes under the tree of Deborah, the palm of Deborah. And so the Lord is not absent. The Lord is not distant. He's not grown indifferent to the thing that we face. He's present. He's active. He's doing something in the midst of our oppression to initiate the process of our deliverance. And that is Deborah. And so Deborah calls for Barak, the son of Abinoam. From Kadesh Naphtali, Deborah would be in the southern part of of Israel. And she summoned Barak in the northern part of Israel to come to her. And she calls him. The Lord calls Barak through Deborah. Has not the Lord commanded you? Go and gather your men at Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, and I will give him into your hand. The Lord is actively involved. He's not absent and distant in the midst of his people's oppression. As they face their enemies, the Lord is is initiating their deliverance through a promise. See, that's how the Lord always initiates our deliverance. Through his word, through his prophetic word. Through his promise, he comes to us and he tells us what he's going to do. I will deliver you. I will give Sisera into your hand. And so the process of deliverance is initiated by the, the word of the Lord. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. That before the fulfillment of deliverance, before deliverance is Secured for the people of God. He promises it. And when he promises it. He gives us a call to hear that word. And to trust in that word. So as you hear those words. Do they conjure up hope in your heart? As you hear the promises of God. As you hear his plans. Does it conjure up trust in you? Or are you immediately skeptical? Are you immediately skeptical? You run the numbers. We have no swords. They have 900 chariots. We have no strength. They cruelly oppress us with their strength. From a fleshly human perspective, there's no way Israel can win. There's no way Barak can get it done. It seems silly to his ears from a human perspective. So when we hear the promise of God that He, uh, in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles, can defeat our enemies and intends to defeat our enemies, do we trust in His promise or do we find ourselves skeptical? Is there a promise in the Scriptures that you hear, that you say, I don't know if I believe that. I've not experienced it. And I, but I hear it, and so I've got, I've got to be skeptical about it. I'm not so sure that God will or can make good on those promises. But that's what Barack is called to do. And yet we wonder, is he trusting in it or is he hesitant? He says, if you go with me, I'll go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Is that doubt? I don't think the Lord can do this without you. Or maybe it's a form of faith. Maybe he recognizes that Deborah is a representative of the Lord's presence. And maybe it's a humble recognition that as the representative of the Lord, he needs the Lord to go with him. We don't really know. We do know that Deborah goes with Barak, and they gather the 10,000 people at his heels at Mount Tabor. See the Lord is initiating deliverance through His promise. I will give him into your hand, and Barak is simply called to trust in that promise and obey it. And then we see this weird verse in, 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 in eleven. Now we not we're not really sure what to do with at first when we read it. Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. And pitched his tent far away, as far away as in the oak of Zaananim, which is near Kadesh. Who cares? Right? Raise your hand if sometimes you read the Bible and you have no idea why that verse is there. You don't see the connection, right? Again, we have 17 through 24 that give us a little bit of insight here. But you wonder, why does it matter that some Kenite moved north? Why is this detail inserted? What's the point? Well, I think Dale Ralph Davis does a wonderful job at opening our eyes to see the the significance of what is taking place. That some ordinary guy moves north, shows that God is providentially involved in orchestrating simple events to bring about his purposes for his people. He calls it providential minutiae. And I don't know if you have room in your mind and in your heart for a God like that. You see, in our society, we might be more comfortable with a God that creates us and then leaves us alone. That keeps a distance and lets us do what we want, when we want, for the reasons that we want. We might want a God that only intervenes when we need Him in a way that we think He needs to act. See, we love a God. We love deism. We love the the God that makes the world and then separates Himself from it and just leaves us to our own affairs to make our own decisions. And dare He ever over-influence our will or our lives. Dare he ever get that involved? But that's not the God of the Bible at all. The God of the Bible is sovereign. The God of the Bible is glorious because he is able to providentially orchestrate every mundane and ordinary activity of our lives to bring about his deliverance. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that the Scriptures show. So some guy decides, "Eh, I think I'm going to move north. The heck with these guys. And we look at that and we see it as something very insignificant. But it is instrumentally significant to the way that God is preparing for the deliverance of Israel from Jabin and Sisera. And I wonder if some of you are sick and tired of the mundane, ordinary activities of your life, like laundry, like getting the mail, like mowing the lawn, like just simply checking in and checking out at work, like just showing up faithfully to things. And you wonder, how does any of this have any significance? How does any of this have any meaning? How does late night conversations with your daughter that's really annoying and tiring have any significance? Why are we talking about this? God is providentially orchestrating the simple details of our lives. When I get the mailbox, go to the mailbox, you know what happens sometimes? A 20-minute spiritual conversation with a neighbor. just getting the mail. Why am I getting the mail now? The exact time he's getting the mail? Just getting the mail. Ah, the Lord has orchestrated this. In the eyes of faith, every mundane detail and ordinary activity fits into a sovereign plan. It goes into the river. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. Even the moving of Heber the Kenite. And so they go and they fight. And the Lord's Deliverance is secured as he heroically defeats his enemies through his chosen instruments. The Lord is the hero of this battle. If there's anything the writer of Judges is telling us is that the Lord is the hero. The Lord is the hero. The Lord will receive the glory. Going back to verse 9. And so Barak goes down with 10,000. Verse 15 says, The Lord routed Sisera. Who routed Sisera? Barak? Who routed Sisera? The Lord routed Sisera. How? By the edge of the sword. Barak pursued the chariots. So Sarah fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. And then he flees. He runs. And where does he run? Oh, good old Heber, the mover. The guy who moved north. And so Sarah thinks he's running to a friend. Because Heber had entered into a peace relationship with Jabin the king. They'd been in covenant relationship, they got an agreement. We're at peace. So he thinks he's running to a person of peace where he can hide and recover and flee. But we see, as was promised, that the Lord is using this situation to bring about the deliverance of his people. That Yael lures him in to her tent, covers him with a rug. When he asks for water, she goes, I've got to make him a little bit more sleepy than that. She gives him milk. And while Sisera thinks that she's keeping people away, his enemies, and keeping him safe, while he falls asleep, Ya'el grabs a tent peg, puts it on his temple, and grabs a mallet, and drives that into his skull through his temple all the way into the ground for a decisive victory at her hand, just as was foretold. The Lord is victorious. The Lord delivers His people heroically in a way that would only lead to His glory. In a way that you could never conclude, oh man, Barak did an awesome job, per se. Barak is a hero. No, at the hand of a woman. Unconventional in the day but nonetheless glorious to put on display the heroic victory of God and secure for the people of God their deliverance. You see, that's how God works. He promises deliverance, and then He secures deliverance through His chosen instruments. There's a tension in this passage of the sovereignty of God. God is doing it powerfully, mightily. That's how God saves powerfully, sovereignly, mightily for His glory and for our good. But He does so through His people. You see, He delivers, He brings deliverance for His people, but He also brings that deliverance about what? Through His people, which the song is going to highlight. Deliverance is secured for His people. So on that day, God subdued Jabin. Who did it? God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder. And they destroyed Jabin. Both and. God is the hero. God is the one bringing about the deliverance. How is he doing it? Through his people. I think for us, that gives us instruction that we're to see the Lord in his sovereignty As our deliverer, but understand this that even as He is our deliverer, He is going to use us as instruments to bring about His deliverance in the lives of every man, woman, and child in this world. That God does so sovereignly through the instrumentation of His people. We say that all the time. Whatever God's gonna do in the world, He's primarily gonna do through His people. How does God work? Sovereignly through His people. God is inviting you to participate in his purposes in the world. You wonder, why am I even here? Because God wants to use you. Yes, you, of all people. Me, of all people. And the road in which we travel, it will not lead to our glory, amen, but it will lead to the glory of the Lord. As he works in a way that we never would expect, through the hand of a woman driving the tent peg into his skull. Let me ask you something. Are you postured? Is your attitude in life to make yourself available to the purposes of God? Are you chasing the American dream? Have you got your own 10-year, 15, 20-year plan that leads to some uh, distorted view of prosperity and, and American uh, uh, affluence? What, what is it that you're, 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 you're living for? Well, I know why God has delivered you, to include you in his saving purposes. He's done it for you, yes, but he wants to include you so that the mundane activities and ordinary activities of your lives all orchestrate to bring about his redemptive purposes in other people's lives. Your children, your co-workers, your employees, your neighbors. God is doing the work of deliverance. He is the source. But He is using His people in this world. That's us. May we make ourselves available. And not be doing our own thing in this world. Amen? God subdued Jabin. They destroyed him. Praise God. That He includes us graciously as instruments in the way he brings about deliverance. So what do we do with this victory? He routes Sisera. He subdues Jabin. He de- they destroy him. They are delivered. What do delivered people do? What do they do? If they truly experience the power of, and, and might and grace of God's miraculous deliverance, What is the response that they give? Doreen heard me talk about this yesterday, so she's lip, I can see her lips. Worship. Worship. They worship. So I don't sing. Come on, man. They sing. That's what they do. So we see chapter 5, the song, and I'm going to read it for you give a few comments. We're going to wrap it up. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. That the leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings. Give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir... When you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord. Even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Ya'el, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah arose as a mother in Israel when new gods were chosen then war was in the gates Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people bless the Lord tell of it you who ride on white donkeys you who sit on rich carpets and you who walk by the way to the sound of the musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord. The righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. And then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake Deborah. Awake, awake, break out into song. Arise Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. And then march down the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord march down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their route, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir, marched down the commanders. From Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley, they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds, to hear the whistling for the flocks. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Ta'anak by the rivers of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought, and from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. And then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. And where he sank, there he fell. Dead. And out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? wisest princess's answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. And then conclusively, verse 31. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. This indeed is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Same account, different genre. Meaning, chapter 4 was the prose, narrative. This is what happened. Chapter 5 is the same event. In poetic form. Right? Side by side. Right? A song. A victory. A hymn. In this moment, they sang. Then sang Deborah and Barak on that day. You see, when something like this is powerful and miraculous, when deliverance is given in this way, the people of God respond. We are not an unresponsive people by nature. We have emotions. We have mouths. We have hands and feet. For one reason. To respond to the gracious work of God. We are a responsive people. And some of us here today must humbly admit that we have grown very bored of deliverance. I want to tell you, I struggle with this. I spend my life in this. I read this. I study this. I think on this. And it can easily when my heart is not in tune with its truth. It can easily become humdrum, boring. And I wonder if many of you who've been in the church for years have heard about the deliverance of God, and it's just grown boring. Blah, blah, blah. Jesus saved me from my sins. And you've grown unresponsive to the deliverance that Jesus has secured for you. Well, today, renew your responding to Him. May the Lord awaken within you a desire to obey, a desire to trust, a desire to sing and worship for the deliverance that he himself has secured. That's what's going on. They're recognizing the source of their deliverance. The leaders took the lead. The people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Later on, right? Where'd it go? There's another bless the Lord. Oh yeah, verse 9. My heart goes out to the commanders who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. When we respond, we attribute to the Lord the victory. We say all that is good in our life, all that that we have been delivered from, the sin that we have been set free from, all of it comes from Him. We have obtained nothing on our own strength. That's what people who respond to God's deliverance do. They attribute it and recognize where it came from. And then you see basically the rest of the song as a recounting of what took place. When we sing, that's what we do. Why do we sing the songs that we sing? Why do we always wonder, is this song biblical? Why do we always scrutinize phraseology? Because when we respond to God's deliverance, we are specifically recounting His deeds. We are recounting His actions to deliver us from our sins. We don't get to write that narrative. God has done that. And so we, when we sing... We are responding, and we are recounting what the Lord has done. We don't sit here and recount what we do. We recount what the Lord has done. Nobody's interested in hearing how you're feeling when we sing. We sing, telling one another who God is, what God has done for us. That's what true responders do. Recount His deeds. Recognize the source. Right? If you look at verse 11... It says, to the sound of musicians at the watering places, they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord. They repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord. That's what we're doing when we're responding and we're singing. We're repeating the righteous triumphs of the Lord. And finally, verse 31. May all your enemies perish, O Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May all your enemies perish, Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. This is a moment where the song asks for and anticipates a more final and full defeat of God's enemies. The very enemies of the people of God. And you read the account uh, unexpected nature of which of Yael grabs the mallet and grabs the peg and drives it, crushing the skull of Sisera, and you can't help but remember, you can't help but look back and say, and, and, and be reminded of Genesis chapter 3, where the offspring of the woman would defeat the serpent. How? By crushing his head. And you can't help but Think about that when you see the tent peg and the mallet and you hear this prayer, may all your enemies perish, O Lord. It's an asking for and anticipating a greater redemption that is still to come, a greater deliverance that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he came as our perfect judge, the warrior of the Lord who defeated Satan, sin and death. How? In a way that we never would have expected him dying on a cross for our sins. And in that moment, the serpent's head was crushed. Crushed. This prayer was answered. So if you're here today, you've never heard of the truth of the gospel. You've never even heard of your need for deliverance. You don't even know what this sin thing is, but yet there's something inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit that is drawing you. That God is speaking you, making promises to you today. Hear that promise and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the victor. He is the one who has heroically defeated our enemies. Trust in Him. Make yourself available to Him. Obey His word. Repent of your sin. Walk away from the idols and values of this world that will lead you to destruction. And see the faithfulness of God that He has indeed delivered you from your most oppressive enemy, sin. Through the crushing of the serpent's head through a way that we never would have expected. The death of the Son of God for the sins of the people of God. The Lord is the better and purer judge. He's the one Chosen servant that God has raised up to set us free from our most oppressive enemy, sin. The Lord is the hero. Guess what? Every week you're going to hear the same big idea in Judges. It's repetitive by intention because we can't get it enough. The Lord is the hero, the Lord is the sovereign savior. The Lord is the one who sets us free. It is in Christ that we find our deliverance, not in ourselves. Amen? Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, you are our hero, you are our judge. You are our Savior and our Deliverer. May we be responsive even now. Responding in faith. Responding in humility. Responding in obedience. Responding by making ourselves available to your purposes and your purposes alone in this world. Responding by praising and singing declaring your deeds. Asking for and anticipating even a more full deliverance that Jesus will bring us at his second coming may we never grow bold I'm sorry, bored to your salvation may this never be ho-hum but may we be a people that are awakened in our affections toward you